0: They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism.
1: The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning.
0: From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This episode features discussion of animal mutilation that some people may find offensive, Listener discretion is advised, especially for children under 13.
1: On June 27, 1978, Steve Ferguson was working on a farm in Bentonville, Arkansas, when something strange caught his eye. He discovered an eerie altar of carefully stacked stones. In the center of the ominous
2: structure was a cow's skull. The empty sockets stared back at Ferguson, He was terrified but couldn't turn away. Stepping closer, he noticed that some of the stones had strange symbols on them. He
1: had never seen anything like it. Two months later, Ferguson came across a second altar even stranger than the first. A plastic human skull and a large knife were in the middle. Once again, eerie symbols had been written on the surrounding rocks. When Ferguson looked closer he saw a warning painted in white letters. It read, Zito's wrath is upon you. The Benton County Sheriff's Department
2: began doing research in hopes of deciphering the symbols on the stones of the altar. They believed that recent cattle mutilations in the area might be connected.
1: The department found that the symbols matched with the Theban alphabet, also known as the witch's alphabet. A theory developed that the people who made the altars were using the animal organs as an offering to dark supernatural forces. For the first time, ufologists
2: had to contend with the idea that the culprits behind cattle mutilation might not be coming from the depths of outer space, but from the pits of hell. Are we alone? Have we been alone? Will we be alone? Stories of alien visitation have been ingrained in human history. Alien life may not be confirmed, but our
1: obsession with it can't be ignored. Welcome to Extraterrestrial, a ParCast original. I'm Tim. And I'm Bill. Every Tuesday, we visit the marvelous and strange stories about our encounters with beings from another world. We're aware that some of these tales may seem completely unbelievable. Others may seem all too real. But these stories shed light on human nature, human beliefs, and human psychology. And each story has garnered hundreds, if not millions, of true believers. And for that reason, we think they're worth exploring. This is our second episode on the cattle mutilation phenomenon. Today, we'll follow the escalation of cattle mutilations in the U.S. and the FBI's resistance to have any involvement. We'll also detail why extraterrestrials and satanic cults were the most popular theories and why we are no closer to discovering the truth than we were decades ago. At Parcast, we're grateful for you,
2: our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing reach out
1: on facebook and instagram at parcast and twitter at parcast network and if you enjoy today's episode the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening it really does help we also now have merchandise head to parcast.com merch for more information last episode we
2: followed the 1967 death of lady a horse that was mutilated in alamosa colorado Lady's death was the first case of animal mutilation linked
1: to extraterrestrials. Lady's head and neck were stripped of all flesh and tissue. She was also missing her brain and organs. There was no trace of blood in or near her body and no tracks to explain who did it. The horse belonged to rancher Nellie Lewis,
2: who believed that extraterrestrials were behind her horse's unexplainable death due to the frequent UFO sightings she and other townspeople had witnessed.
1: Lady's death was just one example in a pattern of graphic and gruesome livestock deaths reported by ranchers. Stories of cattle mutilation escalated throughout the 1970s, but ranchers, law enforcement, and the US government were unable to find an explanation as to what was causing the mysterious deaths. As the stories continued to emerge,
2: ranchers reported seeing black helicopters, sometimes referred to as phantom helicopters, at the sites of the mutilations before or just after they occurred.
1: The role that these mysterious helicopters played in the death of the cattle is unclear, but the connection between the two is impossible to ignore. At the first multi-state mutilation conferences held in Albuquerque, New
2: Mexico on April 20th, 1979, Tom Adams, a Texas researcher, stated that there were over 200 incidents where unmarked
1: and unidentified choppers were seen near mutilation sites. Some ranchers had not only seen choppers near the sites, but had actually seen helicopters airlifting the cattle into the sky and carrying them away at night. Other ranchers mentioned helicopters attempting to run their cars off the road by flying dangerously close to the ground. Farmers believed that the government
2: was experimenting on their cattle and were trying to hush it up. To most law
1: enforcement agencies, this theory obviously didn't hold much water. If the government wanted to experiment on cattle, could they not procure their own? Would they not want to keep the corpses for further examination and study? Why would they need to go to all the trouble of sneaking around with helicopters at night? This theory is
2: obviously an outgrowth of the ranchers' suspicious attitudes toward the government officials who wouldn't take their concerns seriously. Ranchers were worried about how they were going to survive another year if their animals were being wiped out by
1: unknown circumstances. Although the helicopter explanation started as a government conspiracy theory, Some believed that the choppers were connected to extraterrestrial involvement. Those that supported the alien theory believed that the
2: helicopters were actually spacecraft that could change shape. The extraterrestrials
1: would transform their craft to look like government helicopters. Another possible explanation was that the helicopters were the U.S. government's attempt to remove any evidence aliens left behind from these mutilations. If the government was aware extraterrestrials were behind the mutilations, they might want to cover them up. Whether the helicopters were alien vehicles in disguise or
2: government-issued choppers, ranchers viewed them as a direct threat to their livestock
1: and livelihood. Some farmers decided to take out their frustration on the helicopters and armed themselves, planning on shooting at the choppers in order to protect their property. In August 1975,
2: Floyd Haskell, a 59-year-old United States senator from Colorado,
1: decided to take action. Though he had been a Republican for most of his political career, Haskell made a bold move in 1970 when he became a Democrat after deciding he could no longer support the Vietnam War. Haskell's
2: Senate win in 1972 over the Republican incumbent, Gordon Allott was an upset. Having received votes from traditionally Republican rural areas of Colorado, Haskell felt he needed to honor this vote of confidence by taking the concerns of his constituents seriously. And one of their chief concerns was cattle mutilation and supposed government helicopters that were
1: somehow connected. So, in August 1975, Senator Haskell asked the FBI for help. In Colorado alone, there had been 130 cases of livestock mutilation, and he was tired of the problem being ignored. The Colorado Bureau of Investigation,
2: a law enforcement agency that performs forensic and laboratory services and criminal investigations, had been looking into the mutilations along with local law
1: enforcement, but had made little progress. Haskell proposed that the FBI's involvement would allow there to be a unified front and hoped that real progress could be made on the issue. The only problem was that the FBI had previously stated that the killings of cattle were not within their jurisdiction. Ostensibly, these were unrelated, isolated incidents. But Haskell believed that the problem was at a dire level and that the Bureau needed to reconsider.
2: According to journalist Nick Redfern, Haskell then issued a press release letting
1: the media know of the Bureau's position. In early September 1975, the Denver Post reiterated the importance and urgency of the matter and pushed the issue further by adding, quote, Consider this. Because of the gun-happy frame of mind developing in eastern Colorado, where most of the incidents have been occurring, the U.S. Bureau of Land Management, BLM, has had to cancel a helicopter inventory of its lands in six counties. BLM officials are simply afraid that their helicopters might be shot down by ranchers and others frightened by cattle deaths. Shortly thereafter,
2: Special Agents Rosak and Sebesta of the Colorado FBI visited the offices of the Denver Post in response to the article. The meeting seemed like a promising step in getting some real answers for ranchers. It seemed like
1: Haskell's tactic had worked and the FBI was finally ready to get on board. However, the meeting ended with the agents doubling down on their previous statement. The matter was out of their jurisdiction. The meeting was less about the FBI trying to meet in the middle and more about them asserting their power. They weren't going to be publicly shamed by the Denver Post. However, the FBI's investigative authority is
2: the broadest of all federal law enforcement agencies. It's likely that the FBI could have investigated the cases at this time, but was choosing not to.
1: Haskell believed that this was the situation and was determined not to give up. On September 11, 1975, Haskell contacted Clarence M. Kelly at the FBI clarence had been director of the fbi since 1973 when he was appointed by then president richard nixon kelly was the second ever director of the fbi and had excelled at
2: every position he'd previously held he was a man who followed protocol so if haskell wanted him to make an exception and investigate the mutilations
1: he needed a solid reason in september 1975 Haskell had received a call from Dane Edwards, editor of the Brush Banner in Brush, Colorado. Edwards had been writing for the banner since May 1975, when he had moved from Texas to Colorado specifically to report on the cattle mutilations. He hoped to collect stories for a future book that would spur the public into action. In one of his first articles, Edwards wrote that
2: the Brush Banner was one of the few newspapers that was investigating the cattle mutilations, not just reporting on them. Shortly after publishing these articles,
1: Edwards started receiving strange phone calls in the middle of the night. When Edwards would answer, he was met with a low voice. The voice on the other end would threaten him, telling him to stop the investigation. If he didn't, The price would be his life. The calls seemed to become more frequent and horrifying. One particularly disturbing call even went so far as to threaten his beloved puppies. Days later, Edwards' puppies went missing. Then one night, Edwards came home from a long day at work. As he walked up to his door, what he saw made him stop in his tracks. Someone had thrown red paint on his front door. But when he walked closer, he realized that it wasn't paint at all. It was blood. When calling Senator Haskell, Edwards shared all of these details as well as something else he had recently learned. After some recent mutilations in his area, ranchers reported seeing what they claimed to be US Army helicopters in the sky afterwards. Senator Haskell hoped that the unidentified helicopters would fall under the FBI's jurisdiction, forcing them to look into the mutilations. He also was genuinely concerned over the threats made against Edwards, and asked the FBI to look into those as well. The FBI told Haskell they would pass along the information to their
2: Denver office, who would follow the situation. Haskell politely thanked them for their
1: help, but didn't hold his breath. Meanwhile, the Colorado Bureau of Investigation found that Edwards had made a lot of enemies while conducting his investigation. He had been all over Colorado, spending nights at ranches with a rifle across his lap, waiting to catch the culprits behind the mutilations. Earlier that summer, in an attempt to ward off satanic cults and stop the cattle mutilations, Edwards sought out the help of a witch's coven. The coven gave him two protective symbols. Edwards published the two
2: symbols on the front page of the July 1975 edition of the Brush Banner. The CBI believed that this most likely angered not only cult members, but readers of the paper who didn't want anything to do with the occult.
1: Perhaps most aggressively, on September 10, 1975, right around the time of his phone call to Haskell, Edwards' campaign for the truth came to a head when he wrote a scathing condemnation of Colorado Governor Richard Lamb, who he believed wasn't doing enough to address the mutilations. It's possible that Haskell was aware of this and was
2: motivated to take Edwards seriously for fear of a similar reprisal. Lamb met with Edwards in October 1975 and afterward was quoted as saying... There is some real antagonism between our office
1: and the banner. A couple of months passed, and then, on December 5th, 1975, Edward's wife filed a missing persons report. He had disappeared. Rumors abounded. Of course, some thought that perhaps the cult had made good on its threats. Others wondered if the governor hadn't sought revenge for the scathing article. However, a December 1979 investigation into the matter, later published
2: in Think Magazine, revealed that Edwards was actually fired from the banner in October 1975. Though that was around the time of his quarrel with the governor, the publisher of the paper claimed he was terminated for, quote,
1: poor business practices. It seemed he owed money to multiple people, including those at a Denver motel where he had stayed on his way out of the state in December. All evidence suggests that he fled back to Texas to avoid jail. And so, one of the chief proponents of
2: the cattle mutilation investigation in Colorado was proven to be a fraud. Were his stories about threatening phone calls, blood on his door, and
1: Army helicopters even true? years passed. Haskell remained in favor of investigating cattle mutilation. Despite being burned by Edwards, he still had many constituents claiming that the phenomenon was a problem. Finally, on April 20, 1979, Senator Harrison Schmidt
2: of New Mexico and U.S. Attorney for New Mexico R.E. Thompson held the conference
1: on livestock mutilation in Albuquerque. By the end of the conference, the district attorney in Santa Fe, New Mexico, announced that a Law Enforcement Assistance Administration grant had been given to fund a special investigative unit to look into the numerous cattle mutilations. Finally, the Justice
2: Department authorized the FBI office in Albuquerque to get involved in the investigation due to the mutilations occurring on Native American lands. The investigation launched in May 1979 and was called Operation Animal Mutilation. It was time to get answers. Next up, the FBI gets to the bottom of the cattle mutilation
0: phenomenon. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be.
1: After
2: over a decade of pressure from the public, newspapers, and even a United States senator, the FBI finally launched an investigation into the
1: cattle mutilation phenomenon in May 1979. It was funded by a grant of over $44,000 from the Law Enforcement Assistance Administration, the year-long investigation was led by FBI agent Kenneth Rommel and was concluded on January 15, 1980. Rommel determined in his final report that the mutilated livestock died of natural
2: causes and were then consumed by scavengers. He believed that in thousands of cases, farmers had simply misdiagnosed their animals' deaths.
1: In the report, Rommel wrote that, quote, During my investigation of the 117 mutilations that have been reported in New Mexico since 1975, I have not found one single case which, after careful scrutiny of available evidence, could be confirmed as a classic mutilation. Rommel even went as far as to say that police officers had perpetuated
2: deliberate hoaxes and filed falsified reports. His recommendation was that no further federal funds be wasted on researching the matter. Rommel was
1: a skeptic and remained a skeptic throughout the investigation. In a 1994 interview he did for The New Mexican, Rommel was quoted as saying, I have a certain amount of sympathy for people whose lives are so dull and boring that they have to get their kicks by fantasizing about the decomposition of dead animals.
2: Those that were aware of Rommel's inherent bias believed the investigation was over before it started. Allison Hudson, a writer for Skeptoid in 2015, was quoted as saying, the investigation
1: amounted to little more than collections of newspaper clippings. Many UFO believers felt that the investigation was a sham and that the mutilations were never taken seriously from the start. Some believe that Rommel was hired to debunk the theories behind cattle mutilations in order to stop the growing media frenzy.
2: Although there is no proof of this,
1: the results of Rommel's
2: investigation did just that. Was the FBI investigation a ruse in order to appease ranchers and finally put an end to reports of cattle mutilation? Or was the FBI covering up the existence of
1: extraterrestrials? Or were they perhaps covering up something equally sinister? Cattle mutilations in the 1970s had ranchers in a panic, desperate for answers. While some theorized that aliens were behind the livestock deaths, others believed that the culprits were human. Since the post-war years of the
2: 1950s, the United States had been experiencing a rise in right-wing Christian evangelism. Many were adopting a very literal version of the faith in which Satan and his minions were always right around the corner, ready to drag you down to hell. This trend was motivated in part by the rise of television and the preachers who could now sermonize across the
1: airwaves. By the 1970s, the beginnings of a moral, satanic panic were in play. Some believed that Satan worshippers were using the body parts and blood of mutilated cattle for satanic sacrifices. However, there was no real evidence that validated these theories. Brutal killings such as the 1969 Manson murders
2: only intensified these fears. Due to the highly publicized and gruesome nature of the Manson murders, Law enforcement across the U.S. was on high
1: alert for any potential cult-related violence. Here is Linda Deutsch, a retired AP special correspondent who covered the Manson trials, discussing the lasting impact of the murders. He changed an entire culture. It wasn't just that he ordered the killings of seven helpless people uh, for no apparent reason, except that he was nuts. Um... He was psychotic, and he had a a vision that he wanted to be famous as a a singer, and he never could get a contract. And so the killings, in a way, were his revenge on Hollywood. In
2: 1975, Donald E. Flickinger, an agent in the U.S. Treasury's Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Division, certainly felt the impact of the Manson murders. Much of his job over the last few years had revolved around tracking cult activity. He had even investigated a potential cult-cattle mutilation
1: connection, but with few results. His first investigation into cattle mutilations was in cooperation with Alan Hynek, a Northwestern University astronomer and former UFO consultant to the U.S. Air Force's Project Blue Book. Hynek wanted to see if there was a connection between cattle mutilations and UFOs. Since Flickinger had an interest in UFO
2: sightings and had personally done his own research, he was an obvious choice.
1: But ultimately, he found no connection. But then, in January 1975, Flickinger was contacted by a UFO expert, Jerome Clark, who had been sent a letter from Albert Kenneth Bankston... Bankston was an inmate at Fort Leavenworth Penitentiary in Kansas serving 25 years for armed robbery. The inmate claimed to
2: have information about a satanic cult whose members had been engaging in animal
1: mutilation. Jerome Clark, along with other extraterrestrial believers and researchers, had a vested interest in there not being a connection between the mutilations and aliens. They wanted to believe that if aliens were real, They weren't the sort of beings that would torture cattle. Satanic cults had
2: already been floated in certain circles as being behind the cattle mutilations, and so when Flickinger heard Bankston had information, he was eager to hear the details
1: for himself. Flickinger sat down in a cold, dimly lit room across from Bankston. Bankston described a cult that brutally mutilated animals and used their body parts as sacrifices to Satan. Their goal was to create hell on earth. Bankston seemed nervous, afraid. He was worried that if any of the inmates got wind of what he was sharing, then the members of the cult would find out and come after him. In order to protect himself, Bankston
2: requested to be transferred to a jail in Minnesota. Flickinger couldn't let anything happen to Bankston. His information was detailed and consistent, so he had Bankston transferred to a jail in Minnesota and proceeded to interrogate
1: the inmate for months. This was the first real evidence that linked cults to animal mutilation, and Flickinger wasn't about to let it slip through his fingers. Bankston said that a satanic cult out of Texas was the culprit. They called themselves the Sons of Satan. While the cult mostly targeted animals for their sacrifices, Bankston said that they were planning to start sacrificing humans by the end of 1975. This confirmed a fear
2: among ranchers who believed that cults were behind the deaths of their cattle. If they were capable of performing such horrific acts on innocent livestock,
1: what was to prevent them from coming after humans next? Bankston detailed how the cult committed the mutilations in order to make it look as if extraterrestrials were behind the murders. First, the cult would tranquilize the animal with fencyclidine, also known as PCP. The members would then use large pieces of cardboard to step on the ground in order to leave no tracks while approaching the animal. They then used veterinary syringes to extract the blood. The cult members would then
2: slice open the animal and remove the organs and body parts that they wanted to use in sacrificial rituals. Bankston gave Flickinger the name of an ex-cult member, another
1: Leavenworth inmate named Dan Dugan, who he believed would have more details. Dugan was transferred to the same small town jail in Minnesota as Bankston. While both inmates were being interrogated, investigators attempted to catch them in a lie but both parties told identical stories. Dugan actually reported that he had been part of a human sacrifice that occurred in 1965 in Cozad, Nebraska. He claimed that four teenagers were passing by the campgrounds of the cult. The cult members tranquilized the young men and proceeded to give them large doses of PCP. They treated the teenagers with as little regard as when they murdered cattle. The cult members cut open the boys, removing their organs and draining the blood from their bodies. They then put the remains in sacks and tossed them into a gravel pit. Flickinger immediately contacted KOzad law enforcement in hopes of recovering the supposed boys' bodies, but none were found. Regardless, Dugan and Bankston became an asset to Flickinger, providing him with 14 names of people that were in the Sons of Satan. Many of the names Flickinger relayed to law enforcement were already being looked
2: into as possibly having connections to cults. This further validated
1: Dugan and Bankston's stories. Dugan and Bankston also provided Flickinger with a list of people the cult planned on targeting, primarily notable liberal politicians, including Hubert Humphrey, a former Democratic vice president and Minnesota senator. The Rangers in Kilgore, Texas, were in the
2: process of interrogating people with suspected satanic occult connections and had learned that a large gathering was planned for August 1975. The group was known as the Church of Satan. These two details
1: corroborated what Dugan and Bankston had been telling Flickinger for months. It seemed like law enforcement was closing in on the cultists. This was reinforced when, in early 1975, Flickinger began receiving death threats. Every time his phone rang, panic would set in. He would nervously answer and was met with an
2: eerie voice threatening his life. One day, Flickinger came home to find
1: his door was smeared with blood. Despite being in a different state, Flickinger's threats mimicked those of Dan Edwards, the writer of The Brush Banner, who we discussed earlier. Could this be further proof that cults were behind the mutilations? Dugan and Bankston emphasized that the Sons of
2: Satan were a group of powerful and extremely wealthy people. As frightening as the threats were, Flickinger believed that they only proved he was getting closer to the truth. But Dugan and Bankston were about to make Flickinger question
1: everything they told him. On May 31st, 1975, a few months after the investigation had begun, a guard walked down the block of cells in the Minnesota prison. As he checked to make sure everything was quiet, he stopped at Kenneth Bankston's cell. The guard couldn't believe what he saw. Bankston was gone. He Had escaped. Up
2: next, we discover whether there really is a link between cattle mutilations and satanic cults and learn whether this phenomenon is still going on
1: today. Now, the conclusion of our story. On May 31, 1975, Kenneth Bankston, an inmate in the state of Minnesota, escaped from his cell. He had been an informant to Donald E. Flickinger, a U.S. Treasury agent, and was helping him to prove that there was a connection between the wave of recent cattle mutilations and satanic cults. This wasn't the first time Bankston had attempted
2: to escape from jail. In January of 1969, Bankston was one of four prisoners who carved soap in the shape of a pistol and took a sheriff and two deputies hostage in Mississippi. Bankston ended up surrendering after
1: a night of rain and freezing temperatures. But luckily, this time, Bankston was captured the same day he tried to escape and thrown back in his cell without any violence. But then, impossibly, the
2: very next day, Flickinger's other informant, Dan Dugan, went missing as well.
1: Had he been abducted by the sinister cults he was informing on? As it turned out, the explanation was nothing so exciting as that. Dugan had merely escaped of his own accord and had attempted to hide from the law. He was on the run for a month until he was eventually captured and put behind bars once again.
2: Flickinger felt like a fool. He had allowed both men to manipulate him into putting them in lower security prisons. Worse yet their stories about sensational cults sacrificing cows and humans alike were proving to lead to few concrete arrests. As it turned out, the Church of Satan weren't evil devil
1: worshippers, but an atheistic group dedicated to human determinism. It seemed that everyone involved had been caught up in satanic panic, and the two inmates used that to position themselves toward an escape attempt. And so, all major investigations into cattle mutilation in the 1970s led to dead ends. General UFO and cult hysteria had led even the most rational law enforcement agents down a rabbit hole of invisible helicopters, satanic rituals, and abducted cows. But in the modern era, where belief in aliens and
2: secret cults has perhaps died down some, Improved understanding of livestock biology and the surrounding science allows us to consider more rational explanations. There are many silent but deadly diseases that can result in the sudden death of cattle. But could natural factors really produce the horrifying
1: cattle carcasses found by ranchers? Scientists, as well as the FBI, believe the answer is yes. There are a couple of explanations for what might cause the mysterious missing body parts on mutilated livestock. For one, insects and animals often eat the mucous membranes and the softest parts of dead animals. And second, after an animal dies, its skin quickly becomes dehydrated,
2: resulting in the thinning out of tissue. This could lead to loss of genitalia,
1: ears, and other loose tissue around the head. The surgical-like incisions often found on mutilated livestock could be made by the teeth of predators. Another cause could be bloating, a natural symptom of decomposition that can lead skin to split along straight lines resembling precision cuts. Carcass skin tearing also exposes the organs, making it that much easier for scavengers to feast on them. As for the lack of blood
2: on mutilated livestock, When an animal dies, the heart stops pumping blood throughout the body. Once that happens, the blood settles and coagulates. And if scavengers then come and tear at what's left of the animal, there
1: may be no blood left at all. And while some claim that the lack of animal prints around dead livestock suggests the animals are dropped from the sky or something similar it's more likely that the animal prints are simply worn away by the elements before ranchers find them. Revisiting the original
2: livestock mutilation case, that of Lady the Horse, we can see where many of these more rational explanations might play a role, and furthermore, we can see how Lady's owner, Nellie Lewis, was very biased in her approach
1: to discovering the truth. From the moment Nellie found out Lady had died under mysterious circumstances, she was desperate to get to the bottom of it. She claimed she only cared about the truth. And yet, her point of view may
2: already have been tainted. Alien spacecraft sightings were common in the area. Flashing lights and small spacecraft were often reported to local law enforcement. Nellie had seen her fair share of UFOs and
1: was known to sit on her porch hoping to catch a glimpse of something supernatural. In an interview with Don Hard, Nellie's nephew, he recalls Nellie's fascination with the frightening and strange. Don is quoted as saying she had seen strange lights in the valley, so right
2: away she wanted to say it was extraterrestrial or something from outer space that did this maybe with a laser beam or some kind of technology
1: we don't know about. But Nellie's own family was not nearly as convinced. Mysterious animal injuries are part of running any farm or ranch. In fact, Burl Lewis, Nellie's husband, recalls that Harry King, Nellie's brother, had a bull that mysteriously went blind a month before Lady's death. He also owned a calf that began to have developmental issues as it grew
2: its hooves became deformed, resulting in the calf having a difficult time walking. Harry thought it was odd, but didn't bother to have a
1: veterinarian come take a look. Burrell recalled that one day, Harry just took the calf and shot it, then dragged it into the bushes and left it there. Harry and Burrell
2: were able to see these as acceptable losses. The men were more focused on what to do about preserving the rest of the livestock. They were perfectly content
1: moving on from unusual circumstances. Harry maintained that Lady had simply been struck by lightning. If Nellie hadn't kept pushing the extraterrestrial theory, it's reasonable to believe that Lady may never have become a news story at all. But of course, that's not what happened. And as the story of Lady's strange death began to spread, Lady's carcass became a tourist attraction. And while Nellie's siblings were caught up on the ranch attempting to keep
2: spectators at bay, Nellie was giving an interview to Pearl Nicholas at the Valley Courier. Nellie potentially enjoyed the attention she was getting locally
1: and wanted to see how far she could push the limits of her 15 minutes of fame. Her strange, untimely suicide suggested that she was more troubled than anyone knew. Nellie was an enigma and she was not a reliable source of extraterrestrial information. With
2: most of our cattle mutilation discussion being confined to the 1960s and 1970s, we are left to wonder whether the phenomenon continues to be a significant
1: problem today. While there have been thousands upon thousands of cases of cattle mutilation throughout the decades and from all across the U.S., reports have slowly decreased since the late 1970s. A large factor that played into that
2: decrease in news stories was the FBI investigation in 1980 that
1: determined neither cults nor extraterrestrials were behind the mutilations. Additionally, the general UFO mania of the 1960s and 1970s likely sensationalized the issue at the time and made more people report mutilations and put forth extraterrestrials as the culprits. Just like Nellie, their point of view was biased from the beginning. Because the FBI concluded that the deaths were natural, the coverage of the topic eventually
2: became less exciting. The cases were all relatively the same, and with the
1: alien theory debunked, the story didn't carry the same weight. And so, cattle mutilations still occur today, but ranchers are less inclined to cite supernatural causes. On December 18,
2: 2016, in Hutchinson, Kansas, a bull was killed and mutilated, its genitals removed with precise cuts. A few weeks later, on January 1st, a pregnant cow was found dead. One of her eyes was missing, along with the eyelids. Certainly, this was a more precise cut than a
1: predator could make. A veterinarian believed the eye was removed with a laser, leaving the local sheriff stumped. While no one insisted aliens were behind the mutilations, they didn't believe natural predators would be able to precisely remove the body parts. And like many such cases, that's where the
2: story ends. No one ever got to the bottom of who had precisely mutilated the bull and the cow. It remains unclear then whether mutilations truly have decreased, or if ranchers have simply given up on trying
1: to assign a cause. Examining the facts of cattle mutilation, we feel we can assign the phenomenon a number from one to ten on the believability scale. The Haskell-era reports of government helicopters appearing at the sites of mutilations seem especially unbelievable. As we said, if the government was experimenting on cattle, couldn't they just procure their own? And wouldn't they perform their experiments in a lab where they could monitor the results? And if the helicopters weren't performing experiments, but were instead covering
2: up evidence of extraterrestrial involvement, wouldn't it make more sense to remove the livestock completely or at least further disfigure the corpse
1: to douse suspicion? The cult's theory feels similarly bogus. There was never any evidence linking real active cult activity to cattle mutilation. Bankston and Dugan, some of the only individuals to even claim such a connection, were clearly telling law enforcement what they wanted to hear. Their attempted escapes from prison prove they were only ever interested in being moved to lower security facilities. And finally, the flagship
2: case of the whole phenomenon, the case of Lady the Horse, becomes extremely
1: suspect when Nellie Lewis is held up to scrutiny. With all of this in mind, we give cattle mutilation a three on the believability scale. The sheer volume of cases leads us to at least give the theory
2: some credit. But of course, there is likely no one cause of all
1: these livestock deaths. Predators, disease, accidents, and yes, human tampering are likely all to blame. But then again, no one can know for sure what happens out on the range. If cows
2: could talk, they might tell some strange stories. Stories that might include abduction by visitors from another
1: world. Thanks for tuning in to our episodes on the cattle mutilation phenomenon. You can find all previous episodes of Extraterrestrial, as well as
2: all of ParCast's other shows on Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts.
1: We'll be back next week with a new episode. Extraterrestrial was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler with sound design by Paul Liebeskind. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. Extraterrestrial is written by Sasha Guerin and stars Bill Thomas and Tim Johnson.